update from New Jersey. It's the SNL Nerd, the show where two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. How are you doing, Darren? How are all the boys at sea? We're doing all right there, John John Trumbull. How are you over there with, you know, taking out the Kaiser? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yes. I'm, <laughs> I'm in a patriotic fervor because we're recording this on July the 4th. That's right, 4th of July. It's us, guys. Ha-ha, we fooled you. It's not two John Mulaney's. It's us. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But, you know, we're, we're doing appropriate 1940s-esque voices because our movie this week is 1941. 1941. Made in, made in yes. 1979. So, so yeah. So, so already I'm confused. Yeah, already. Just so many numbers. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I mean, if the... If you think the title's confusing, wait to see the movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it was my understanding that there would be no math. Uh, but yeah, 1941 is is sort of a a famous slash infamous movie. It's, it's directed by Steven Spielberg. Heard he of did him. it right after he did Jaws and Close Encounters. So this is Steven Spielberg is very huge at this point. Oh, he's hot. He's so hot right now. He, He's hot. And it, it stars a Mr. John Belushi. It stars a Mr. Dan Aykroyd. So there, there, right there. That's our SNL connection right there. Boom. Uh, yeah. yeah, this movie this movie came out uh, December 14th, 1979. Uh, had a $35 million budget, only made $94 million. And uh, at the time, that was kind of considered a, a flop. I guess it kind of still is, just because he was coming off of Jaws and Close Encounters, like you said. So the fact that it only yeah. made $94 million, people were like what what the hell that's not that's not big blockbuster numbers and uh yeah the critic- I'm, I'm reading on on imdb it was a moderate box office success i mean because you know 94 million is not nothing but by blockbuster standards that's probably not great yeah i mean it's kind of like um when like m night Shyamalan came out, out on the scene and he made the sixth sense and unbreakable and everybody was like oh this guy's amazing and then he came out with signs and everybody was like, oh. And, and everybody was like, oh, not so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then movie after movie with Shyamalan, it was, it, people were like, yeah, that was. I remember lucky. years ago, like a trailer came out, and I don't even remember what movie this was for at this point, but they said, like, directed by N. Night Shyamalan, and the audience literally groaned. <laughs> that's not good. Oh, poor M. Night. He, yeah. He had, a, he had good, a good start. But... He had a good start. And then. Um... Then life happened. <laughs> yeah, then then stuff happened. Uh, yeah, know, that, so... That was his big twist ending. Was, yeah, people <laughs> didn't want to see his movies anymore. <laughs> twist! And uh, so, yeah, so the movie was a moderate hit. It didn't make the big numbers that people... You know, it didn't make the big numbers that people thought it would. And the critics uh, did not like it. I think um, on Rotten Tomatoes, I think it, it's raked as like like 42% or something like that. Yes, yes. Pretty low. The audience score is slightly higher, 48%. Oof. So. That is, uh, I, I think, uh, well, there's actually a couple of reviews here that I really dug. Um, I believe, okay. Let me see if I can find one I like. I know, like, Siskel and Ebert reviewed it. Um, Roger Ebert's one review was kind of a, my favorite, where he says, um, he said in the film, yeah, he gave it one and a half stars saying that the film feels forced together chaotically as if the editors wanted to keep the material going at any cost. The movie finally reduces itself to an assault on our eyes and ears, a nonstop series of climaxes, screams, explosions, double takes, 
sight gags, and ethnic jokes that's finally just not very funny. I, I also see that Vincent Canby from the New York Times, this is on Rotten Tomatoes, it says, uh, it may possibly be that Mr. Spielberg has chosen gigantic size and unlimited quantity as his comedy method in the awareness that he has no gift whatsoever for small-scale comic conceits. And he gives yeah. it 1.5 out of 5 stars. So, right. uh, yeah, not, not a well-regarded movie. Yeah, there was one review in it that um, I can't find online, but like um, I rented a DVD of this movie to the library, and mm-hmm. um, they also had the reviews for it on as, as one of the uh, special features. And oh, I, nice. I can't, I, yeah, and of course, I one of them, one of the reviews, I forget who it was. It said basically, this movie is like being trapped inside a pinball machine for two and a half hours. <laughs> that's and good. That's, that's and I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> Yeah, that that sums it up well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, I, I don't know, I'm kind of tipping my hand here, but yeah, this movie. First of all, it's a pretty long movie. It's like, I mean, it I got is the direct like two hours, which is which is very long for a comedy. Yeah, I watched the collector's edition, and it was two hours and twenty minutes. So I got, I got oh, it all. Oh my god! I see. Yeah. I watched it on Amazon Prime, so. I, I watched like the two hour version, so so Ooh. we saw different versions. We did, uh, I, but I oh think we God. might come to the same. We might come to the same conclusion because it's wow, um, it, it is. is too long. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I think it's too long at two hours. I can't imagine it at two hours twenty minutes. Bingo, nail on the head. Um, because my uh, my God, I I have notes. I was like, okay, I'm an hour and a half in. There is still thirty minutes to go on this thing, and that is really long. It's comedies that they, they need to be light and they need to be pretty quick. I mean, like an hour and a half should be good for most every comedy. But wow, uh, yeah, but this was this was uh this was a marathon. Oof. Uh, I, I knew there was an extended cut of it, and I think the extended cut is, is somewhat better regarded. But uh, uh, wow. yeah, it's it's a, it's a long one. Um, yeah. So for yeah. those that don't know, I mean, the basic premise of this thing is um, this takes place in uh, December 1941. Uh, Pearl mm-hmm. Harbor was you know just happened, and I think this happened. Right. This movie takes place maybe like a week or so after that. So it, it takes a, place on on December 13th, going into right. the 14th. So. Yeah, right, the, it's like the Saturday after Pearl Harbor. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, it's also Christmas time and it takes place in California because a lot of people on the West Coast were freaked out thinking that they would be get hit next. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have uh, one of the generals, uh, General Joseph Sit- Stilwell, played by uh, mm-hmm. Stack, who... Uh, Robert Stack, in- yeah. Robert Stack, the great Robert Stack. Oh, we should talk about him, too, about how... Like he, his role that you've probably read it too, where his role, like his role was offered to a few other people beforehand. Yes. Yes. They offered, uh, the role to John Wayne who, who not only turned down the role, he tried to talk them out of making the film because he thought it was un-American. Right. right. It was uh, John Wayne and Charlton Heston got offered the yeah. role and they both felt, yeah, this movie is un-American. It's not patriotic. Uh, according to Wikipedia, uh, it's like you said, John Wayne told Spielberg, yeah, this movie shouldn't be made <laughs> because he um, I believe John Wayne said to him, you know, that was an important war and you're making fun of a war that cost thousands of lives that cost thousands of lives at Pearl Harbor. Joke, don't joke about World War Two. So, you know, and, and and this is only like 30, 
eight years after Pearl Harbor. So it's not that that long, relatively, you know? Yeah, and I, I feel like he's... And also in this movie, I feel like Spielberg isn't making fun of World War II. I think this movie kind of makes fun of, like, people in general and, like, their, you know, their, you know, proclivity... Not proclivity, but their way they, the way they give away to paranoia and mania and just get worked up into yeah. a fervor. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's making fun of the panic after Pearl Harbor, which was was a real thing. I mean, people in California in particular, because they're not that far from Hawaii, and we right. were, like, Pearl Harbor was hit, that's obviously in Hawaii, so the people in California were scared, and they were having, like, bomb drills and blackouts and things like that, So, and they were, there were rumors of Japanese subs off the coast of California, so this was a real thing. I mean, this is partially based on real incidents. Right. And, uh, you know, so, yes, I think the movie kind of makes fun of that. People's freaking out over, you know, over things like this, like, you know, important uh, events that happen in in our in our lifetime. But it's just about like you said, like panic and paranoia. I mean, I remember the panic that happened after 9-11 in here in New York. Mm -hmm. So the movie was more about that than it was about the war. But I guess, you know, you know, the Duke couldn't. Uh, quite see that i mean it's it's tough for me to imagine i mean it's been like you know 20 years since 9-11 i can't imagine someone making a comedy about the panic that followed after 9-11 you know yeah i i mean i remember i feel like they kind of tried a little bit with that adam sandler movie right actually that wasn't more of a comedy it was more of a what the the you don't mess with the zohan no what no (laughs) the rain over me Movie, the one with him and like Don Cheadle, I think. You don't remember that? Oh, geez, I I totally forgotten that movie. I never saw that movie. Yeah, it was like one of uh, his first, you know, attempt at a uh, drama. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those but things. That's where... a drama. That's that's not a comedy. I yeah. thought you were saying there was an Adam Sandler comedy about that took place post nine eleven. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, I guess I, uh, I guess I goofed there. <laughs> okay, but uh. I don't know the difference between dramas and comedies. Oh, oh, okay. Well, th- th- that's a good thing for us to find out. 144 episodes. In. <laughs> Did I? Should I have come? Should I have told you that in the beginning? I'm just saying you buried the lead there. Damn it! Sorry, 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 listeners. I apologize. Okay. I've been doing all a right. drama. No, no, it's a good thing to find out. Uh, two and a half, three years in. Yeah. All right. I you thought I was doing the difference between drama and comedy. Like, are we not doing a drama podcast right now? No, we are. We are. Okay. It's it's a uh, slow motion tragedy. Gotcha. Oh, is it ever? Uh, <laughs> well, I do like how uh, this movie starts with um, a, a nude woman, and uh, not any nude woman, but uh, <laughs> S- Susan Backlinney, who mm-hmm. who is who is in Jaws, uh, Spielberg's yes. first movie. Spielberg's she, first she movie. She is the the skinny dipper at the beginning of Jaws who gets pulled under the water. So it's it's Spielberg. Spoofing himself from two films before, um, that's kind of interesting because it's, yeah, I mean, because Jaws was such a huge movie. That's, I mean, it's basically credited with beginning the summer blockbusters. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, uh, the, I mean, it still holds up. People still watch Jaws to this very day. I, I am going to watch Jaws later this afternoon. It's a great 4th of July movie, man. Yeah, guys, we recommend you watch Jaws instead of this movie. Yeah, listen to this podcast and then go watch Jaws. Yes. And just be listen like, thank this- God I don't have to watch 1941. Yes, listen to this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe, and then go watch Jaws. Yes. 
Uh, yeah, so it starts with, uh, you know, Susan Beck Lenning, like I said. she's uh, She drives up to the beach, and she's part of the Polar Bear Club, and she, you know, of course, runs into the the beach, you know, buck-ass mm-hmm. nude, and she gets caught on, on a rising submarine, and we see, like, yeah. the Japanese um, soldiers inside, along with a German soldier, uh, played by Christopher Lee, is planning right. on a, another attack on uh, Southern California. And the captain of the Japanese submarine is played by uh, Toshiro Mifune, uh, the great uh, Japanese actor who's been in probably every Japanese film you've ever heard of. Right, exactly. I think this was his first uh, American film, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I am not sure on that, but let's say yes. Oh, uh, right. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Let's say yes, and he did many more American films after this. Yeah, that's a ticket. Um, no, he actually, he, he only speaks Japanese throughout this film and right. he, uh, apparently never learned how to speak English and he expressed regret that he never learned how to speak English. Hmm. That's interesting. So if Toshiro Mifune had to do it all over again, he'd be an English speaker. And apparently, uh, Toshiro Mifune was also an actual Japanese World War II veteran. So. Oh, see, and he was okay well, with this. So, he was okay with this movie, yeah. so. So what's up with you, John Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> you see, um, Bethune gets it, and and uh, Christopher Lee as the German observer. He only speaks German in this movie, and Christopher Lee was actually fluent in German because Christopher Lee was a total badass. Wow, Achtung, baby. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like Christopher Lee was like a spy during World War II. And he he was multilingual and yeah, it's just nuts. Like go go read like Christopher Lee's Wikipedia page and just be amazed. Right, he's pretty badass. That's all. That's what we're saying here. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So then we learned that the soldiers are planning another attack uh, on a navy vessel in the L.A. Harbor. The German officer is mm-hmm. there to observe, and uh, they want to attack uh, like a navy vessel, and they're making their way towards Hollywood. That's like the big. But 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 they're lost. They they're they're bad, incompetent soldiers. So they don't. They're not reading their compass correctly, and they they don't know where they are. They know they're like right. vaguely in California, but they don't right. know where Hollywood is because comedy. Hey, people are lost. It's a comedy, guys. Should have made the left of Walla Walla, Hong Kong. <laughs> uh, and then so after this. Not too promising beginning. We we cut to a diner, and there's this uh, young guy Wally. He's like washing dishes, and he's he's dancing to "In the Mood" because it's 1941, and that was the only <laughs> song that existed back then. There was only one song in, in all of 1941, and that was it. There was there was a "In the Mood." Da, 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 I mean, whenever there's a movie in in that takes place anywhere from like 1935 to 1945. That is the one song you hear in the movie. That's it. That's right. So, uh, yeah. So we see this guy, Wally, his friend. There was a war on. They had to ration the songs. (laughs) That's right. We have to ration these songs against the Kaiser. All the other songs went towards the war effort. (laughs) That's right. They're after our music boys. You can, you can only listen to in the mood. Don't Uh, you know there's a war on? So, so yeah, he's he's washing the dishes. He's he's tossing the dishes around, and he's he's wearing a, a Hawaiian shirt, so you know he's wacky. 
That's right. <laughs> or a morning uh, zoo DJ. Yeah, you, that too, that too. But I don't know if morning zoo DJs were a thing yet. So damn it. Um, but but he's looking forward to like a big USO dance. Um, but he, with his with his best girl, Betty. With his best girl, um, who I th- I think is named Donna. I, I don't know. Her character's not introduced for yet. This movie skips I, around so much. It's yeah. Got, it, it's Blood. got I think about two hundred subplots. Oh, oof, boof. But he. But Wally comes out, uh, he, and he you know, hijinks ensue, and he accidentally uh, spills a little egg on one of the soldiers, who's played by a young Treat Williams. Right. And two like of the I, other soldiers there are Dan Aykroyd and John Candy. Yeah, I think Dan Aykroyd is a sergeant. He's in charge of all the soldiers. Uh, right. John Candy's one of them. And I believe, I missed it, but they said um, Mickey Rourke was in here, too, as one of the private first classes. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't see Mickey Rourke. I did see him in the cast list, though. So yeah, and it's what, and this, was, this was supposed to be Mickey Rourke's first film, but he I missed it, but they say he was in there, so I'm like, all right, I guess he was there. So It's a pre-diner Mickey Rourke. Um, supposedly, uh, Michael McKean and uh, David Landers are also in the movie, but I totally missed them. Them I saw. I did I did catch them. Okay, okay. But that's later. We'll, we'll right, get but to anyway, that. But he spills egg on on Treat Williams, and he's like, "I hate eggs," and you think that's just like a throwaway bit, but no, it is an actual character trait, and that will that will come back into play later in the movie. Right. So, so yeah. So then Treat Williams, uh, he's this guy who called you know his name. He goes by Stretch, and so he you know the Wally spills egg on him, and you know Stretch is a bit of a bully, so they get into a, mm-hmm. a shoving match and. Like a lot happens in this, in, in like a few minutes. Like they, they like shove each other. Somebody's face falls into a birthday cake, and like mm-hmm. some tables break and dishes smash, and people are screaming, and it's just like a big old brouhaha over a little bit of. There, there's a lot of slapstick type stuff in this film. None of it is actually funny, but a lot of it happens. There, this is this is the slappiest of slapstick movies. There's just yes. pe- people are constantly like falling through windows, crashing tables. Again, mm-hmm. a birthday cake in the face because it's somebody yeah. just out of nowhere. And if so anyway, you see the, a, a thing in this movie, it is probably going to fall down, fall over, or blow up. One of those three things is going to happen. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so then all that happens. Um, Sergeant Tree, who's played by Aykroyd, breaks it up and he's like, "Hey, get out of here, you! Get out of here, you crumb bum! Come on, boys!" Let's, I did, let's I did like Aykroyd in this movie because Aykroyd, he's he's great at doing those, you know, uh, talking really fast like an old timey newscaster. I mean, this is yeah. this is Aykroyd's wheelhouse. Aykroyd, I thought, was really good in this movie. No, he, I, I could have yeah. done with a little more Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, why I, I ought to slug you, big palooka." Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he's yeah, got so the right so- tone for it. Right, so then uh, Wally's boss comes in and it's like, "Hey, wh- hey, what's up with you, kiddos? Get out of here, you, 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 mama Luke, yeah, rep scallions." <laughs> yeah, and then they, they, so uh, Wally and his buddy Dennis get you know thrown out of the restaurant, and Wally's yeah. all bummed out because he has to take his best girl to the Jitterbug contest for the USO. That's right, that's happening at the USO, but it's only for Soldier Boys, so he can't, he can't get in. He's gonna have he, to figure out a wacky way to get in there. And there are only soldiers allowed. So what do you think he's going to do? Oh, mm. yeah, think about it. So then he mentions his girl, Betty, 
And then, of course, they cut to uh, Betty with her friend Maxine, played by, uh, you know, the, the late, great Wendy Jo Sperber. And it's yes. um, from Buzz and Buddies. From Buzz and Buddies. And uh, it's them mm-hmm. getting taught how to, you know, behave around the, uh, the soldier boys. And there we get a cameo from Penny Marshall, who's the woman who teaches them how to uh, dance with the boys and, you know, be, care- be careful because they, they can get a bit well, handsy. Okay, this this is a scene that was not in the version I watched. So oh, already really? you're oh. seeing stuff I'm not in the extended version. Uh, in my version, Betty and Maxine are not introduced for a little while. Oh, wow. How about that, boys? Hey. But, uh, but Betty is played by Miss Diane Kay, who you might remember is one of the daughters on Eight is Enough. Oh, she's a real humdinger, isn't she, boys? She is. She is. She's she's got it going on. She's got moxie, kid. Ah, she got stems. She's got stems for days. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, so this... I mean, in the version I watched, uh, after the scene where uh, Treat Williams gets, like Wally gets in Treat Williams's face, it it cuts to John Belushi as the fighter pilot, Captain Wild Bill Kelso. Who, oh, wow! Who lands plane at a gas station. Uh, yeah, and I believe that gas station was the same gas station used in the movie Duel, which was yes. um, Steven Spielberg's uh, early film. Yeah, it's a, it was a TV movie. I think it was released theatrically overseas. Duel, much better movie than this. Uh, you should go watch Duel. If you're not watching Jaws, go watch Duel. Listen to this I, podcast, rate, review, and subscribe, and then go watch Duel. I haven't seen Duel, but I already think it's better than this movie, and I agree with you. You would be correct. You would be correct. I have seen Duel, and it is better than this movie. Although yeah. it does have the the gas station that uh, John Belushi's fighter pilot character lands at. It's the same gas station as in Duel, and mm-hmm. it is run by Lucille Benson, who was also in Bosom Buddies. What? The Bosom Buddies yes. connections. We, we are like maybe 10, 15 minutes into this thing, and we've already hit two cast members of Bosom Buddies. Keep it to yourself. It's my life. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so listen to this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe, and then go watch some Bosom Buddies. Bosom Buddies, yeah. still a fine sitcom, holds yeah. up beautifully. And download uh, Billy Joel's My Life. It's a great song. Yeah, that is also, it still slaps, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah so uh, Belushi, he gets introduced. He's uh, Wild Bill Kelso, part of the uh, Air mm-hmm. Force. And uh, so he pulls up to a gas station, tells somebody to fill up his airplane, full of uh, gas because he he comes in on an airplane you can see he's a little unhinged he goes into the uh, gas station uh you know packs his jacket full of cans of food uh shoots the radio and blows up the gas station so like a lot happens again in a matter of moments. yeah yeah the, the, like like gas is leaking out of the tank and then of course it gets lit and then it, it the flame trail goes up and yeah the gas station goes up in flames Right. Says because you know th- things blowing up is funny apparently. Dude, there are so many explosions in this movie. It's it's ridiculous. There, there are a lot, even for a movie that takes place at the beginning of World War II. A lot of explosions, dude. Even for a, World War II, an excessive number of explosions. Dude, there were explosions during the credits. Did you see that? Yes, yes. What? Wow, wow. <laughs> Spielberg really had a vision. <laughs> he did, and that vision was of things blowing up. So many, oh boy, uh, yeah. So uh, that's our, that's our introdu- introduction to Belushi. He just he's uh, unhinged. He shoots things and blows things up. So he he is America. Yep, he is America. He is the quintessential American. Um, and then next we have Robert Stack as General Stillwell, 
Um, this is a, a pre-airplane Robert Stack. So he's, he's still pretty much considered a straight actor at this point. Uh, but, you know, he's he's the general, so he's very serious and rah, 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 rah. And, right, and he's got his secretary is named Donna Stratton. She is played by Nancy Allen, who you probably remember from a million uh, Brian De Palma films and uh, RoboCop and RoboCop, of course, and RoboCop. Yeah. And uh, so also we also it, we're also introduced to the captain's aide, uh, Loomis mm-hmm. Burkhead, played by Tim Matheson. The Tim, Tim Matheson of Animal House fame, uh, who's who's basically just Otter in the army. I mean, yeah, it's it's Tim Matheson as as super horny dude again. Yeah, I think I'm sure like the, the casting director was like, "Hey Tim, you know that crazed horny man you played in Animal House? Can you do that, but in a uniform?" <laughs> yes, and he was like, "Will the check clear?" And they were like, "Yes," and he said, "Yes, I will do that." <laughs> uh, yeah, so basically, we see a Loomis sees um, Donna. Of you know Robert Stack's uh, secretary, and he recognizes mm-hmm. her as oh yeah, that's like we had a thing going on, and she has like a thing for airplanes. So if I can yes. only get her in like a if I can get her up in an airplane, you know we we, we can do some things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she's got a big airplane fetish. She's very um, she she's very turned on by the airplanes. As as Loomis Burkhead says, no man has ever gotten to first base with her on the ground. Um. <laughs> Wow. So, so he, he lies that he completed a uh, flight school and he, he takes her on to this B-17 and he starts trying to get busy with her there. She's got like her eyes closed and he's they're pretending that they're flying. Um, but it, it, it doesn't work for her on the ground. So it it's, does not. So he's going to have to figure out a way to get her on an airplane in flight. Absolutely. So, but uh, but yeah, during this during this time. They're like fooling around, and of course, while they're fooling around, she accidentally presses buttons and pull levers. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the levers, uh, you know, drops a bomb on the ground, and it rolls away, and uh, and boom, explosion! Another explosion! Yeah. Yes, yes. We are tw- look, yeah, we're like ten, like twenty minutes into this movie, and just like like two two explosions just happened. Yeah, yeah. I, at this point in my notes, I just. Right. Spielberg's idea of comedy is lots of explosions and people falling over. Um, that just uh, yeah. happens over and over. So. Like, who, who do you think you are there, Spielberg? Michael Bay? Jeez. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. So at, at this point, in my version of the movie, it, it, it we then, then go back to, or for me, this was my introduction to Diane Kane and Wendy Jo uh, Sperber's characters. Um but for but for you, it's their second scene, right? Exactly, and also I think you you probably missed this scene, but there was a scene where uh, Wally, the kid who wants to take Betty out to the USO dance, he doesn't have a suit, so he wants to get a zoot suit, so he goes to like a super expensive uh, department store to try on a suit, but of course he has no money to pay for it. So like while the people are fitting him for the suit, he kind of sneaks away, and he apparently he brought in an air siren with him. So his idea was to, you know, try on the suit, go into the fitting room, uh, pull out the air siren that he, you know, he smuggled into the department store, turn it on, work everybody up into a fervor, being like, oh, my God, it's, it's the jet air raid, air raid. And, when, and every, while everybody is in a panic, he sneaks out with, with the suit on. 
As you do. As you do. Because if you can't afford a suit, if you can't afford a suit, you know, cause some uh, mayhem in your town. Uh, no, I did not see that scene. I think I would remember that. Yeah. Uh, they, they lifted the zoot suit theft scene out of my version. Interesting. So I feel uh, so deprived. Yeah. I mean, you didn't, it's just people screaming, running around saying, oh my God, it's, you know, the Japs. The, they say that word a lot. I, I, I was uncomfortable saying it, but they say it. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they say that and they say way worse, but that's, that's later. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so Betty and Maxine, they've joined the USO. They're going to this dance. Um, and we meet the late, great Ned Beatty as Betty's father, Ward Douglas. They've got a nice house on the beach and his wife is Lorraine Gary, who, uh, you probably remember from Jaws. She's right. That's what she's best known for. I would say she was, uh, she, she was the wife in Jaws. Right. Exactly. So, right. And now she's the wife to Ned Beatty. Um, yes, and she, and she gets to scream a lot. A lot of screaming, like every, everybody screams in this movie. Everybody has a chance to scream at some some point in this film. A lot of screaming. Uh, we and then Dan Aykroyd and his uh, soldiers they come by and they want to install a forty million uh, forty millimeter anti aircraft gun in Ned Beatty's yard because they want to be on the lookout for enemy aircraft and he's at the strategically the right place. Right. Cause he's, um, cause their house is like right on the beach, right on the water. So they're saying, Oh, be this, it would be perfect to have a, you know, this, this big, huge aircraft gun, like just put it in your front yard. Like, can we do that? Is that yeah. cool? And, um, and apparently this is another thing in the script that was factually based. Um, according to the IMDB trivia, it says on, according to, Bob Gale on the DVD commentary, the army really put an anti-aircraft gun in the yard of a homeowner on the main coast. So. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess I get it, but that's like, I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know they could just like do that to a civilian's home. Be like, Hey, we're going to put this incredible dangerous weapon in your front yard around your family and children. That's cool. Right. All right. Bye. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that falls under the the you know the, the thing where the army can seize your house or, or whatever. But uh, yeah, so that's the thing that happens in the movie, and uh, we we also have and then Wally comes by, and we get more of you know Wally and and Treat Williams being rivals for Betty's affection. Right, because uh, you know uh, Stretch sees Betty, and she's like, "Hey, that doll face, what's going? What's the hat?" And you know. Did you did your version have this part where, like, um, I forget what happened, like where where Stretch and Betty say some. Yes, words. my version had parts where I forgot what happened. <laughs> yes, uh, but then there was this one part where, like, Stretch goes into uh, Ned Beatty's garage and he starts like you know angrily screaming and throwing things around for some reason. I guess um, the show. Yes, that sounds familiar. Yes. Yeah, the show that he's like a bit unhinged or something like that. I was like, why is he? Yeah, here? I didn't get that, but uh, yeah, but yeah. And, and Wally is kind of spying on them, and yeah, then that, that's how they come into conflict. I have, I have at this point in my notes, uh, I wrote 26 minutes in, and I haven't laughed once, so woo, <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're in the uh, slog here, guys. It's 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 a, it's a lot, it's a lot. 
Uh, yeah, we also learned that Wally and Betty are, you know, are an item, but although Betty's dad doesn't like him because he's just some, some no, no good hood, some two-bit hoodlum. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And, yeah, and then, of course, uh, Stretch and Wally get into it, and, you know, they they all chase Wally out, and it's, you know, wackiness ensues, and la di da di da Oh, and we also get some nice, cool little uh, Dan Aykroyd fast talk as he describes the gun. Yes, yes, and he, and he's instructing Ned Beatty. He's like, okay, you know, you don't touch this, you don't touch that, you don't touch the other thing. Uh, you see, you don't do any of this. You don't, you don't mess with this. Yes. And uh, spoiler alert: Ned Beatty's gonna mess with the gun before the movie's over. What, dude? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh. So then uh, we. So next. So now we got to cut away to another subplot that doesn't really go anywhere. No, this um, really doesn't go anywhere, this subplot. This was... We, we have the Japanese sub malfunctioning um, because, like I said, the soldiers are incompetent. And then we have a character played by Slim Pickens, uh, Hollis B. Wood, who's a lumberjack who's, like, selling Christmas trees. And he's he's captured by the Japanese troops. And they're like, you need to show us how to go to Hollywood. And because his name's very close to Hollywood, he's like... They're like, where is Hollywood? And he goes, here. You're looking and, at him, Fowler. Because it's, it's this movie's no Doctor Strange Love, is what I'm saying. It it is not. Oh boy. If you if you want a funny movie about war breaking out that stars Slim Pickens and and by God, what man or woman alive doesn't want that thing? Go watch Doctor Strange Love. Like, finish listening to this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe, and then go watch Doctor Strange Love. Yeah, that's and that's a movie. That's a movie. That's a movie. Um, and and Hollis P. Wood, he he swallows his compass so that they can't find Hollywood, right? Thereby uh, foiling the evil Japanese soldiers. They did have one part that I thought was kind of kind of funny, like when they take uh Polly Hollywood Hollis Wood into their submarine. They also bring uh the his radio with them, and he has this huge huge radio. That he's been uh, driving mm-hmm. around his car with. I guess the car doesn't, or the truck didn't have radios back in the, in the 1940s. Uh, so the Japanese try to bring the radio through that little hole into the submarine, and, but it can't fit. And then one of the Japanese soldiers are like, "Oh man, we gotta figure out a way to make these things smaller." Which is, you know, a nod to that is not ringing a bell with me. So that must be another deleted scene. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, it was like a remember little, them. I mean, it's like a little nod to how Japanese. The Japanese made you know radios smaller in the eighties and like Walkman. Yeah, that, that that sounds like a cute joke. Yeah, I, I yeah. wish that had been in the version I watched. Right, and uh, I also like this one line where uh, Slim Pickens uh, realizes the Japanese want him to point him, them in the direction to Hollywood, and is like, "Oh, you ain't gonna! T- I bet you guys are gonna bomb John Wayne's house, ain't you?" And I was like, "Oh, that's that's interesting. I wonder if they wrote that in after John Wayne turned down the role." I don't know, but I mean, we, we, we don't, we can't get into that any further because we've got to cut away to another subplot. Uh, yes, we're 33 minutes into this thing and we are still introducing characters. We, we yeah. have two men in an amusement park by played by that great, great comedy team of Murray Hamilton and Eddie Deason. Hamilton right, and the Deason. mayor from Jaws and the nerdy guy from Greece. Together at long last. Finally, they got my letters. <laughs> That's right. They're they're playing two characters named Claude and Herb, who go to the top of a Ferris wheel to spot an enemy aircraft. 
Yeah, like uh, I think, I mean, I think they introduced them because Claude was the neighbor of Ned Beatty's character, and I, I guess right. he signed up to do like surveillance for uh, for Japanese uh, soldiers and whatnot. So he he inadvertently got paired up with Eddie Deason's character Herb, and he told him, "Oh yeah, you can go up in this Ferris wheel and be able to see everything." And of course, oh, I hate heights and I hate Eddie Deason. <laughs> Yes, as as most people do. Eddie Deason, uh, he w- he went viral in the last couple weeks. Um, Ooh, look that up, people. Yeah, yeah. Eddie Deason, uh, if you work in a diner, you you don't want Eddie Deason as a customer. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, no, no. Like when Eddie Deason comes through the door, you're like, I'm gonna go on my lunch break. Yeah, yeah. Just just run. Just just head for the hills. Oh um, but apparently, these characters were originally written for Jackie Gleason and Art Carney. What? And they were they were offered the roles, but Jackie Gleason refused, saying he he would not and could not work with Carney any longer. Oh shit! But then they know. did another movie together uh, six years after this. Oh, so, they were. I didn't know they were on the outs for a while. I, uh, according to IMDb, yes. Mm, wow. So, uh, so of course we get that other great comedy team of Murray Hamilton <laughs> and Eddie Deason. If you can't get Gleason and Carney, you get Hamilton and Deason. I mean, that's right. Come I, mean, on. That's, we all know that. I wonder how many calls they made in between <laughs> those two authors. Evan Costello, no. De- Martin and Lewis, no. Ronan Martin, mm. no. Smothers Brothers? No. No. <laughs> my uncle and uh, my, my niece? No. <laughs> hey, what what about the, the mayor from Jaws who had that, that cool blazer with the anchors on it? How about him? He's kind of funny, right? He could use the work. <laughs> I mean, they haven't made Jaws 2 yet, I don't think. And what about the nerd from I want to hold him? What about the nerd from I Want to Hold Your Hand? Was he, do you think he wanted to do yeah. it? The guy who's, who's always stuck in Jerry Lewis's nerd character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will say, though, that as unfunny as this movie is, it does have some gorgeous shots in it. There's there's one shot of them at the top of the Ferris wheel, and it's looking down, and you can see like the amusement park below them. And I'm like, that's just a gorgeous shot, man. It's shot well. I will say that. There are, like you said, it yeah. is, it's... It's visually very well done. Uh, comedically, yeah. I mean, Spielberg has, particularly Spielberg in this era, has a just still has a great eye, man. Yeah, no, he so, does. He does. I, I mean, the film looks great. It looks great, but it, it don't feel great. It don't feel great. I mean, uh, yeah. If if you're gonna watch this film, you know, maybe watch it on mute. Yeah, do that. <laughs> watch it on mute and li- and uh, listen to uh, the movie Duel or. Any of the other movies yeah. we, we recommended. Or, or, you know what? Also, the soundtrack is good. The John Williams score is terrific. So, right. if you can just, like, listen to the the soundtrack and not listen to any of the dialogue or the unfunny things that are happening on screen, then you, I think you can enjoy this movie. Right. So, listen to this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. Watch the mm-hmm. movie with the sound off and with the soundtrack on. Right. Absolutely right, and uh, yeah, that doesn't sound too tough, right? No, nah, that's fine. You guys can do it. It's Labor Day. It's a Fourth of July weekend. It's, you got like a you got the day off work. That's right. That's true. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, so we have Hamilton and Deason up there, and uh, of course Eddie Deason has a ventriloquist dummy 
with him for no apparent reason. Because uh, apparently just Eddie Deason is not annoying enough. He needs a ventriloquist dummy. Did you I, notice, by the way, the ventriloquist dummy got billing over Eddie Deason? As it should. <laughs> as he should, yes. It had a better agent. I don't know what to tell yeah, the ventriloquist dummy prob- probably behaves better around women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure a lot of waiters are like, look, Ed- when Eddie Deason comes in, he's a total nightmare. The dummy, total gentle- gentleman. Sweetheart. Great tipper. Sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so- okay. So, so in my version, after this, it cuts away to Hollywood Boulevard, where General Stillwell is going to see Dumbo. Okay, and yeah. this is a big part of the movie. Yeah, in my version, it cut away to Hollis, uh, like you said, swallowing the um, uh, Hollywood, swallowing the compass, and them trying to get him to poop it out, and like so they force like prune juice down him, but like he was in the bath, he he was in the bathroom. Yeah, he he goes into the bathroom and he he pretends that he's uh, you know going number two, and he he like dumps his boots into the toilet to make a splash. And yeah, okay, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get that they were trying to make him poop out the compass. I think I just kind of tuned out a little bit. Yeah, I did a little bit too. But then he's able to escape, and he's like, you know, America. Yeah, and he, he's able to escape, yeah. and then that's it. We don't see that character again at all in the movie. Slim Pickens just disappears. Yeah, uh, and just by Slim Pickens. Uh, <laughs> Slim Pickens. Just you can easily cut Pickens. out all the Slim Pickens stuff. I think. Yeah, and it doesn't add anything it would to make the movie. No difference. It adds nothing to the movie at all. It's just, the, like the the Japanese submarine crew, they are lost before they meet Slim Pickens, and they are still lost after they meet Slim Pickens. It it does nothing. It does not advance the plot at all. <laughs> it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. Oh, by the way, there's a a, a guy from Stripes who's coming up in the movie later, in oh, addition well, to John Gandy. Oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. Um. So okay, so so after this, are are you at Hollywood Boulevard with General Stillwell seeing Dumbo? Yes, yes, I am. Okay, okay, so so he's going to see Dumbo, and then uh, uh, Tim Matheson's character, Captain Burkhead, suggests that they go to the five hundred first disembursement unit to go get some planes, and he's saying, "Well, they, they've got to have planes there." And then uh, Donna, the secretary, is. She's getting all hot and bothered about that, so she's like, "I will go with you to the planes." Right, because like, uh, I th- yeah, because I think the sergeant got a message from um, I think Maddox, another or another Maddox saying that he saw something on the uh, on the horizon. He thinks there's like uh, you know Japanese soldiers coming in through parachutes and whatnot. And right, but then Robert Stillwell said, "No, Maddox is he's crazy. He's a madman. Don't don't listen to him." But then yeah. Uh, then Loomis says, well, you know, maybe I should go over there and, you know, check it out. And, you know, they got planes over there. So maybe, you know, maybe Donna would want to go with me. And I think, and, just, and I can get some, yeah, because <laughs> that's where his priorities are at. I can get some, sir, because Tim Matheson was just so, he, he played so many horny guys in the late seventies, early eighties. It's, it's really insane. He was a stiffler of his day. I guess so. And, and, don't get me wrong; he does a great job of it. I mean, he is he is wonderful in that in those parts. Uh, but yeah, he, uh, unfortunately, he's in a movie that's not 
as funny as Animal House. Right. So, uh, but yeah, so um, the, uh, the general really wants to see Dumbo. Like, he really wants to see Dumbo. So, for some reason, so he's like, all right, you go, you guys go and check it out. I'm, I'm going to go watch Dumbo. Yeah, he is so into watching Dumbo. He is like, it is the dawn of World War II. And this generally is all about, when can I see Dumbo? <laughs> I got to see this flying elephant. <laughs> I, 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 I can't explain that, but uh, yeah. Uh, um, so, but, and, and just like across from the movie theater is where the USO dance is, is happening. So we see Betty and Maxine arrive. Betty is dressed like Donald Duck for some reason. <laughs> she's a, she's like literally in a white skirt with a, a blue uh, jacket that's sort of like a sailor thing. And she's got like a blue sailor hat. She she looks like Donald Duck. And I'm, I feel like that had to be intentional. Yeah. Wait, so you're, in your version, you didn't see the talk that uh, Betty had with her dad, Ned Beatty? Maybe not. Describe it to me, and I'll let you know if that sounds familiar. Well, there was a scene where, like, the family's eating dinner, and they're talking about having a gun in the yard, and, um, you know, the father, who uh, go, goes by the name Ward Douglas, um, mm-hmm. you know, is telling the wife, you know, he you know, he wants the gun in their yard, the wife doesn't, and uh, Betty tells them, All right, I'm leaving for the USO dance, and then the father wants to have a talk with, with her daughter, saying, hey, you know, I, you know, let's have a talk, you know, and I know we don't talk about, you know, what to expect when you're over there because there's going to be a lot of soldiers there and mm-hmm. you know, they're going to, you know, they're fighting. They just for, want one thing. Yeah. They're, 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 they're fighting for our country and they only want one thing. So, you know, um, show them a good time. And then he leaves. And like, you see the look on Betty's face, like what the fuck? <laughs> uh, no, I think I would remember that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, okay. So we have Ned Beatty telling daughter from eight is enough. Go, go put out with the soldiers. Because they're they're fighting for our country. It would be un-American if she didn't. <laughs> Do you not care about this country, John? Honestly, the scenes that you are describing to me sound funnier than what ended up in the theatrical cut of the movie. Yeah, like I saw that. I was like, wow. You know, because in the forties, women were uh, objects to to, to, to do <laughs> yeah. with, for your pleasure, for, to do what you wanted. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh wow! Yeah, it, it's it's a problem. Uh, no, again, I I think I would remember that. Okay, well, ch- check out the director's cut, guys, if you want. <laughs> Don't make me watch this movie again, Darren. Okay, no, all right. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'll get the DVD and we'll see if I can just watch the deleted scenes by themselves or something. Um, but, uh, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. Uh, and in my version, then it cut to uh, the... The guys in uh, Sergeant Tree's um, infantry in you know Dan Aykroyd's yeah. platoon, and they introduce like a new character. They get like a, a new black uh, soldier who is just transferred to them, and he just comes in and he like he literally comes in through the door and starts screaming at everybody, saying, "I'm Jones and I ain't I ain't here to take no guff from blacker, blacker, blacker," and <laughs> like he, he literally. So he's B. A. Baracus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I ain't get up in no plane, Hannibal. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so now they introduce a new character into this movie who really doesn't have much to do, and his character is really kind of inco- inconsequential, so I don't know why they Well, he's him. in good company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because wow. That describes most every character in this movie. They don't have much to do, and they're inconsequential. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. 
<laughs> no, I think I missed uh, Jones's introductory scene. He just kind of shows up for me. Um, wow. I don't, I'm, I'm starting to think this movie wasn't edited very well, Darren. Uh, you don't say. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah, no, for, for me, the, at this point, it's cutting back and forth between the movie theater where the general is watching Dumbo, and they're showing clips of Dumbo, and I'm thinking, like, you know, I kind of wish I was watching Dumbo instead, because right. I, I generally feel like if you're making a bad movie, it's a bad idea to show clips of a better movie within your movie. <laughs> Because then, then your audience just gets envious and resentful. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'd much rather watch Dumbo than this. Yes. Yes. I'd much rather watch Dumbo. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So then at this point, they cut to the USO dance going across the street. Right. Um, they show uh, Wally in his zoot suit, and he's hanging out with the other zoot suit guys. It seemed like they did it also a nod to the zoot suit riots. A little bit, yes. Here. And I'm, I mean, you've heard of that, right? Or because yeah, yeah, it was like a real thing in 1943. It was like because um, a lot of the zoot suitors were Hispanic, I understand, right? And they they got into a fight with some servicemen, right? Like, I mean, this is something I didn't know about until I listened to uh, our good friends' podcast, Brad and Katie's podcast, the um, Decomposition podcast. Did they do the song Zoot Suit Riot? They did. I, I had no idea what that was about until they broke it down for me, saying mm-hmm. how that was like a real thing. Uh, because, I mean, for those who don't know about the Zoot Suit Riots, um, basically during this wartime, people had to ration things for the war effort. You know, metal. But, the, but they, they were throwing back bottles of beer. Oh. <laughs> the, they would they would give the empty beer bottles for the for the effort that's why oh okay okay they were drinking so that wasn't just in the song all right no, they're all drinking right. beer for america mm-hmm. uh so like they also had to ration a lot of cloth and fabrics and stuff for you know so the soldiers would have uniforms and parachutes and stuff so it became very trendy to have uh you know to to, to have like clothes that wasn't too you know big and ostentatious you know because you gave right. you donated your cloth to the effort so uh, the zoot suit, which is basically a huge baggy suit that uses mm-hmm. all of the cloth, was sort of seen as, you know, un-American or unpatriotic. And it was kind of, oh, see- yeah. you, you were kind of seen, like if you wore a zoot suit, it was kind of like your way of thumbing your nose at the war effort saying, you know, fuck the troops or something. So oh, I don't care about our soldiers. I'm not rationing. I'm using all the, clo- uh, the cloth for my suits. I look at these big pants. They're like MC Hammer pants. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so that reference is going to make a lot more sense in about four years. <laughs> I guess you guys aren't ready for that, but your kids are going to love it. Kids are going to love it. Ah, another better movie, uh, written by the same people. Yeah, <laughs> I, Bob Dale and, and Robert Zemeckis. I guess this uh, this movie was just a trial run for them until they made a better movie. I mean, hey, if if somehow this movie led to them making Back to the Future the way that they did. I'm happy that this movie was made. Right. Uh, all right, so you right. So basically, these were actual events that happened because uh, when the so, when the soldiers and the um, you know army people would go on shore leave, they would go to bars and hang out, and they would see, like you said, these Mexicans and Latin American people dressed in these big baggy, baggy zoot suits, and, uh, you know, they did not uh, take, uh, kindly to that, so it's like a thing. So they where, were like the hippies of their day. Yeah, and also, of course, you know, they're Mexican, so there's like a race element involved in there too. So yeah, yeah it, it lets us like some big, huge brawls. You know, shit got deadly, and uh, so that's what that Cherry Pop and Daddy song is all about. <laughs> all right, so okay, so 
listen to this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. Then go listen to the decomposition podcast episode about the Zoot Suit Riots. Then watch Jaws and Duel and Bosom Buddies. And uh, what else do they have to watch? Jeez, uh, anything else? Dumbo. Watch Dumbo. And watch Dumbo, of course. Yes. Right. Uh <sighs> Yeah, you got you guys got a full plate. You got a lot of homework. I don't think we're even halfway through this movie. Yet. I have so many notes. <laughs> I have so many notes. Um, at, at one point, um, we we had a bulldog in uniform. Did you see that? I did see that, and I was like, "What?" I liked the bulldog in uniform. I I would have liked more of the cute little doggy in the uniform. Yeah, it's like the Georgetown mascot or something. Yeah, nice. exactly. Uh, so uh, so we go to the USO dance. We see the band leader, uh, Joe Flaherty. Begin the great Joe Flaherty, yes. The great Joe Flaherty. Um, and I think I knew a guy who didn't put Joe Flaherty to his movie. You know what happened to him? He died. <laughs> Why you put Joe Flaherty in your movie, ladies and gentlemen? Well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. Uh, Thank so you. at this point, we see. Um, I think at this point, uh, Betty is at the dance. Uh, you know, Stretch sees her and you know makes a move. Uh, right, he's, he's getting a little handsy, a little too rough, and they start. Yeah, that we we find out Stretch not a good guy. Yeah, not a good guy. He becomes just a big old Neanderthal, like he real gets quick. Increasingly rapey throughout this movie, like so, like, 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 like Bluto in the Popeye movies, just like yes, just, just manhandly. Yeah, yeah, um, but but Maxine, uh, Wendy Joe uh, Sperber's character. She she finds Stretch really hot. She's like, oh, I I gotta get me some of that. So right. So hijinks and Sue. Right. Uh, we see Wally. Well, not really, but they try to have hijinks and Sue. They, they're trying. Uh, we see yeah. Wally with them, and he's upset, and he tries to get into the place, but he can't because he's not wearing because he has a zoot suit, and they don't they don't take kindly to those zoot suit uh, the zoot suit fellas. The zoot suit fellas. That's right. So so he sneaks in in a navy uniform. He gets a, a like a navy uniform from a soldier who was thrown out because he had a like a, a bottle hidden in his uniform. Right. Uh, then we see Stretch, you know, really becoming creepier and creepier by the minute. At one point, some other uh, soldier tries to talk to Betty, and he gets in his face and said, "Hey, you." That's he refers to Betty as his point of entry. I'm like, Jesus yes. Christ! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so then this movie does have a remarkable amount of wordplay that's like both war terminology and like sex terms. Like we get a lot of that in the subplot with Loomis trying to get Donna onto the plane and they're like, you know, are you ready for liftoff? Are you going to be able to stay in flight and all that? And they, they have so much of that stuff. I'm like, OK, that's that's kind of clever. Yeah, kind of. It, it, I mean, it's not really funny, but it's kind of clever. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. Uh, so then, what happens is uh, Wally gets into the USO because he's wearing an he's wearing a he's wearing the uh, the uniform now. Uh, at this right. point, we see uh, Stretch literally drag Betty off and you know in, into the night because he he want, he wants the sex, and, yes. <laughs> but uh, Wally manages to you know get Betty away from him. And like and, they, and, a, and a, a big chase ensues, and and uh, during this, they're also having a jitterbug contest, right? And the, the the first prize is a seven year contract at RKO Pictures. RKO Pictures, RKO Pictures, your quality radio pictures. Oh <laughs> uh, um, yeah! So while they're dancing and doing the jitterbug, and they have dance moves while 
uh, stretches trying to, you know, beat him up and knock him out. And while, you know, right. while he's just kind of doing little fancy footwork and, and moving yeah. around. Um, yeah, well, like Wally has learned to dance for Betty and they, they start dancing together and they they are great. They start winning the contest and they're, they have some great dance moves. It's a nice, there is some impressive dancing and stunt work during this whole sequence. And this is like the closest I came to enjoying this movie, I think. There you go. This. See, we, we so. t- took us a while to get there, but we got there. Hour one. Yeah. Uh, but then, so as they finish their dance, um, Stretch gets a hand, gets a hold of him, punches him in the face, and yeah. uh, throughout all this, a huge fight breaks out. Like, I think he yeah. falls behind and somebody, then somebody punches, tries to punch Stretch out, and then, like, right. some other soldier punches each other out. I forget how it starts, but... It, well, it, it doesn't really matter, but, I mean, because Stretch is in an army uniform and Wally's in a navy uniform, a big fight breaks out between the army guys and the navy guys. Right, and, and it's literally the entire ballroom is fighting with each other. Right. Um, so. so then we cut to our other plot line. where uh, um, One of our other 200 plot lines, yes. Where uh, Loomis and Donna meet up with uh, Maddox. And uh, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, right. Maddox is played by Warren Oates, the great Warren Oates, who you might remember from as Sergeant Holka. From a little movie called Stripes that we talked about last year. That's true. That's true. Yeah, we we talked about Stripes uh, a, a while back in in the on the podcast. I'm not sure what episode that was. We watched it last summer, I think. Right? It was like around this time, like a year. Because yeah, yes, yeah, we did do that around the Fourth of July. You're right. How You're about, right. How about that? We Look at it. that. We did. That's episode ninety two. Um, so yeah, so they meet up with Warren Oates at the 501st Disbursement Unit. And they, they're like, oh, do you, do you have any planes? And they're like, no, no, we don't, we don't really have any planes. We got like this one plane over here, right? And he looks at that, and I think Donna looks at it is like, that's fine. Let's go in there and boom. And so, yes, <laughs> it is not far off from that. It's not. Um, uh, yeah, it's not far from what I just said. And then, and then, then we cut back to the fight, the USO fight, and Joe Flaherty is reporting on the fight like it's the Hindenburg explosion. I'm sure he was listening to the, you know, oh, the humanity. Yeah. I'm sure he was studying that before he did that scene. Right. And I think at this point, um, who is it? I think it's like the soldiers make their way onto the scene, uh, Sergeant Trees and his men saying, and try to break everything up. Um, Ackroyd, John Candy, and yeah. Yeah, because I think at some point the fight actually spills out into the streets and it, it becomes it like does. a big old a melee, yeah. as they say. It does. It does. And uh, meanwhile, while all this is going on, uh, their General Stitwell is still just watching Dumbo in the theaters. And uh, unfortunately, then the movie chooses to start showing the really racist part of Dumbo. Oh, with the crows? Yeah. With the crows. And I'm just like, oh, oh, no, this is not aged well at all. <laughs> I don't wish I was watching Dumbo anymore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> Dumbo gets really <laughs> racist, you guys. <laughs> it's animation, not hate. <laughs> I think it's both. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, oh uh, boy. Uh, yeah, and I think uh, one of the soldiers tells uh, the general about the fight going on outside, and he—I think he's like, I think that sounds like a police problem. Let them handle it. I really, I'm really into this movie. Because, yeah, because God forbid he stops watching Dumbo. You, he really is into Dumbo, man. He is. 
I mean, I, I'm at this point. I'm thinking the general has like an elephant fetish, the way Donna has a plane fetish. <laughs> elephant fetish. Yeah. <laughs> nicely done, sir. Hi, oh. <laughs> uh, so, meanwhile, back at the 501st, um, Loomis is getting ready to take the plane up, and then he he's getting ready to take off, and he says, "Hey, the plane has no radio." And the colonel's like, eh, "I know the plane has no radio, but don't worry, we have a telephone." I will call on the telephone and let people know that you're taking the plane up so they won't think that you're an enemy aircraft. And, of, and right. And of course and you'll be good. And then of course, during the takeoff, they, they knock over the telephone poles. Yeah. And guess what happens? <laughs> Wackiness ensues. Wackiness ensues. Wackiness ensues. Things fall down, things blow up. Yes. 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 Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> and uh so at this point. What happens? Oh, yeah. Um, Belushi. Belushi lands. Belushi lands. You know, Belushi. He... Remember when Belushi was in this movie? Yeah. He's on the cover of the poster. He's not yeah. in it that much. He's not. I mean, we pick up with Belushi like once every 30, 40 minutes. I mean, he's in it for a, a good amount, but. A decent amount. A yeah. A decent amount. But yeah, but it ain't that great. So he comes out. He falls out of the plane. He screams at people. Says, I'm well, Bill Kelso. Yeah. Punches out somebody in the face. Blagger, blagger, blagger. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he, he talks to Maddox about, um, you know, where he's been. And I, I then he goes back up in a plane. And, right. Uh, yeah, he sees. And there, there's a stunt well, where Belushi's trying to get back on the plane. He's He climbs up on the wing and he falls off the wing and lands, like, on his head. And apparently that was a real accident. Yeah. That Spielberg kept into the movie. And, and Belushi went to the hospital for three days. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure Belushi was like, "Oh, you kept the uh, you kept in the part where I injured myself and was incapacitated for a couple days." Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, thanks, Steve. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, see I mean, th- thankfully, I mean, he he had lots of cocaine in his system, so he he yeah. wasn't really injured. But uh, the cocaine saved saved him. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. It's um, a miracle drug, that is. Yeah. <laughs> hey, boys, if you want to feel better, get yourself some cocaine. <laughs> it can be found in every Coca-Cola. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. They've probably taken the cocaine out of Coca-Cola by that point, I think, right? Mm. We mm. knew in the 40s that cocaine was bad. Did we, though? Right? Did we? I mean, we didn't in the 70s, but... Yeah. In the 80s, but... Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, so 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 Loomis and Donna they're up in the plane. Donna's getting all hot and bothered because they're in, they're in flight now, and so she starts coming on to Loomis on the plane. Right, and of course they fly over like a reservoir. People spot them, which mm-hmm. sends off a yellow alert because they right. think it's an enemy combatant, which is you know what they thought would happen. Right. And um, but and they- the soldiers at the USO they stop fighting and they start they. they or they mobilize, but they're still the, the fight's still going on. Right? right. The fight spills out into the streets. There's cop cars that get overturned. A fire truck comes out of nowhere. Um, right. Somebody's in their underwear for some reason and gets hit by the firefighter ladder. And it's mm-hmm. just like cars are running. There was a guy it. who went through a window. Like the guy in the underwear went through the window, right? It's basically every stunt you can imagine in one scene. Yeah. <laughs> like people falling off roofs. You know, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Right. And I think at this point, um, 
Sergeant Tree gets there with his men. He fires off a gun in his air, in the air. He yeah. says the line he's been saying throughout the movie. It's like, I, it's one thing I can't stand is Americans fighting Americans. Yeah. And like, he says, what do you want to do? Put Yamamoto in the White House? <laughs> um, I, I do kind of like that line. Yeah. He, yeah. Like he, um, yeah. Sergeant Tree, he, he, he's able to, you know, defuse the situation, but he does it by saying, we have a common, common enemy. And that's the, you know, the, the, the Krauts and the, and the Japs and, so he and the other slurs. Yes, there are a lot. Of, like, I got uncomfortable. There's a lot of slurs. I was like, Geez. you probably got a few more slurs than I did because you had the extended version, so you had 20 <laughs> more minutes to have racial slurs in there. You you probably even got more Dumbo racism probably. in your version. <laughs> the director's cut now with more slurs. <laughs> now with more racism, oh, so man. it's more historically accurate. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, he he was able to calm the situation down because like everybody yeah. has a common enemy which is uh the foreigners i guess <laughs> all the foreigners um yeah i did like Dacroyd's speech i again i thought Aykroyd did a nice job in this movie and this was actually dan Aykroyd's very first movie by the way this was his film debut really yes oh i thought um, he did something before this or maybe maybe he did not maybe it was like a canadian movie or something canadian movies don't count of course <laughs> Apologies to all our Canadian fans. Oh, yeah. What? You know. Uh, uh, movies don't count unless they're made in the good old USA. <laughs> USA certified. Um, I, but I like the scene where, where Ackroyd's giving the speech and pulling everybody together. But the movie cuts away in the middle of it. It cuts away to another scene. I'm just like, stay with the speech for it. There least. are so many scenes. There are so many like characters... In this movie, you don't need to be like the two guys in the Ferris wheel. That, that really, yeah, that didn't really go anywhere. No, it didn't really average. I feel like there is a better movie in this if they re-edited it. I don't think it would be a, a particularly good movie still, but I think it could be a better movie than what we got. It would, it would be less confusing, and I think that, yeah. that's what I need. Um, um, but but when they cut away from Ackward, they cut back into the USO uh, hall. And Joe, Joe Flaherty is just, uh, he's like surveying the wreckage and he's like, well, thanks everybody for coming out. And he did have one line that I thought was kind of funny. He just said, maybe next time we can have some Negroes come in and we can have a race riot. Yes, I did see that part. <laughs> um, again, as we learned, as when we did uh, Animal House and Trading Places, a, a, good, a good precision Negro line in your movie. <laughs> You know, you want that precision Negro. Yeah, you, you gotta. <laughs> it's like threading a needle. You gotta. Yeah, it's gotta be in there just so. Because Negro, it it it's an old fashioned word and therefore kind of funny. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't. And yeah, and again, in my version, it didn't go to that just yet. It kind of went to oh, uh, Loomis and Donna still in the plane, causing it goes from a yellow alert to a red alert, and there's a air raid siren that goes off. And uh, all the soldiers get into position. And that's where I saw uh, Lenny and Squiggy as two men trying to shoot down, two soldiers trying to shoot down the uh, the plane that Loomis and Donna are in. And then there's well, a- maybe, I, I wonder if my version cut that part out. But like Michael McKean and David Landers were, were, were still credited at the end of the movie. So maybe they're still visible somewhere in the theatrical. Co- I don't yeah. know. It's, it's really quick. It's like a blink and you miss it, but they do. Sh- okay. They do, I guess I blinked know, and I missed them. They do show them, you know, shooting down the plane. And then, and they also show wild yeah. bill, uh, 
Belushi's character following them in the plane, shooting them down. Um, right. We, we hear we hear uh, Wild Bill Kelso say another, um, you know, ep- racial slur. racial slur. That's, sure. Okay. I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm not even going to say what he said. It's it's probably been like two or three minutes since we've had a racial slur. <laughs> <laughs> so we were due. Yeah, it's but it's, it's a really bad one. It's like the one that it rhymes with ant, and that's all I'll say. And uh, so they shoot them down. They shoot off the words. They go by the Hollywood sign, and they shoot off the word because it said Hollywood Land originally. So they shoot off the word Land. So it just says Hollywood. Yeah, I uh, missed that. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I'm still hung up on on what racial slur he said. You have to tell me off air or something. I all right, I'll text it to you. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, so then that happens. The air raid siren goes off. Everybody stops and gets into position because they, you know, because they think the you know the Japanese are about to attack. Uh, mm-hmm. Tree, uh, Sergeant Tree tries to shoot out the lights in town, so he just shoots out the marquee. Right. Shoots out the marquee. Because uh, so- when when that was that was the big thing it was when you had like an air raid siren. Everybody was you were supposed to have blackout conditions so that the the enemy planes wouldn't have any lights to target. Right. Um, so so they try to take out all the lights, but meanwhile the the big Dumbo movie marquee is still lit up. Yeah, this... I think turning that down would be uh, job number one. And oh, I just got your racial slur. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I know what that. I know what racial slur rhymes with ant now. You see why I couldn't say it. <laughs> I understand, and yes, I agree with this decision. Um, <laughs> Y'all ain't gonna get me canceled. <laughs> uh, it, it it is a slur that would occasionally end with I. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Uh, so yeah, so uh, Sergeant Tree is shooting out the lights. Uh, something mm-hmm. falls on him. It was like a like a big uh, what? Something falling down in this movie? Yeah, it came out of nowhere. Uh, I did not see that coming. It's like a big plastic Santa because this is happening around Christmas time. Hits him, right. hits him on the head, and he becomes kind of, you know, incapacitated for a bit. Right. He gets, yes. He gets knocked. Yes, I got out. that. He gets knocked out unconscious. So mm-hmm. his uh, his men need a new leader, like a new sergeant to fill in, and um, right. they notice that Wally is wearing a uniform still. So mm-hmm. they look to him to to guide them. Yes, um, even though they are in the army and Wally is supposedly in the navy. Yeah, this, but I what? But still, yeah. I mean, the, the command structure in this movie—it's all over the place. Yeah, like <laughs> they even recognize him as the kid from the restaurant who works there. And but then they're like, "Well, yeah, he's the kid from the restaurant, but he's wearing he's wearing the old uh, he's wearing a uniform, so he's our leader now." I was like, "What?" <laughs> Every soldier in this movie horribly incompetent. I at this point, I I'm I had the note uh, one hour seventeen minutes in. I'm starting to think we deserve to lose World War Two. What that? <laughs> Happy Fourth of July, everybody! <laughs> like we as a nation did not deserve to win World War Two. If this is any sort of accurate portrayal, no, I don't think it is. Yeah, I. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, at this point, um, I don't know if, again, I don't know if this was in your version, but then it cut to uh, Wild Bill shooting down the plane Loomis and Don are, are in. Uh, right. he, he gets them. Um, they land in the La Brea tar pits. I did have that, yes. They land in the La Brea tar pits. And then... Um, um, and Kelso flies out to the ocean. Right. Because Kelso spotted the, the, the submarine at some point. Right. 
And, uh, and and Ned Beatty also spotted the submarine from his house. Right. So like, Ned Beatty gets behind the gun and is like, all right, I'm going to take him out. Right. And uh, and also uh, Loomis and Donna are in the La Brea Tar Pits. And then Loomis says, oh, man, I'm in real trouble. And then the two of them just, you know, go back to having having the sex. And then that's it. We don't right. see their characters again in the, for the rest of the movie. Uh, no, they just disappear. Yeah, the movie just kind of forgets about that. So, I... mm, okay. So, but you know, like he he got to sleep with the airplane fetish lady. So, so it's all worth yay? it. Yay! Yeah. Yay! I guess I don't know. We don't really learn anything about those characters besides he wants to bone the airplane fetish lady, and she likes the airplanes. Yeah. So, I don't particularly care if they hook up or not. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm just like okay. I guess that's good for them. <laughs> yeah, uh, and uh, so at this point, we see uh, Wild Bill uh, Kelso, uh, Belushi's character, going for the for the uh, Japanese submarine. We see the uh-huh. two dudes in the Ferris wheel. Uh, Claude and D- Eddie Deason's character, Herb. They it's a great comedy team of Murray Hamilton and Eddie Deason. Of course, yes. of course. They notice they see Wild Bill in the plane. They think he's uh, Japanese. Uh, airplane and like a Japanese zero, yeah and, yeah, and they shoot him down with their right. uh, with their rifles. Yes, um, let's see. My next note is Treat Williams is really rapey in this film, so I guess <laughs> I guess Stretch comes back, and he's he's still trying to get Betty, uh, the girl from Eight is Enough, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, and um, I think Wally sees it. He's he gets um. He gets into a tank with the with the men, and he tells the men to go after them. And mm-hmm. the men are like, "Yes, sir, we'll go after that civilian woman, sir." Right? Because you know, yes, <laughs> they will take any order at this point. I'm like, aren't they supposed to be going towards the the submarine? Why are they? What is <laughs> they happening? Very bad soldiers in this movie. What uh, is happening here? I don't know. I don't. At this point, this is, I think, around the point that I just kind of threw up my hands and I was like, I will, I am not going to understand the plot of this movie. It's just, it, it's too frantic. It's too, it's too much. Uh, yeah. And then at this, at this point, Wild Bill gets shot down by the two guys in the Ferris wheel. He lands his airplane in the, in the middle of the, of town, right by the USO. Down Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood yeah, Boulevard. Lands. Hollywood Boulevard. Uh, he talks to the general who finally is done with Dumbo. Right. <laughs> and it, We don't really get to hear what he thought of Dumbo. I'm assuming he enjoyed it. <laughs> Two thumbs up. I don't know. You know, maybe he's like, that was really racist. Yes, I liked it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah. So, and uh, Wild Bill tells him he shot down a Japanese plane. Uh, they go investigate. Then they, he mentions the submarine he saw, all the... Soldiers scream and run towards right. the submarine. I think at one point Wally hits um, Stretch with like with uh, some like some heavy bullets or something like that, and he's able to. Yeah, he he like he kicks him in the nuts and then he hits him with, uh, yeah, like a uh, the the big thing of ammo, the, like a more, it's like a bandolier. Right, exactly. That's the word bandolier. And yeah. so all the, so Wally and Betty and all the boys go to where the sub is by the coast in their tank. Um, while, what was it? Uh, Stretch and Wild Bill go follow them while Maxine, Wendy Jo Sperber's character follows, goes with them because she's all hot and horny for Stretch, even though he's like crazy abusive, uh, 
psychopath. and super rapey. And, yes. and that too. He's a total psychopath. So yeah. it's, I mean, I, look, I've never seen It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, but I imagine it's as convoluted as this movie is so far. Uh, There's a lot happening. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of different characters. I mean, they're, they're all right. I really, whatever... I don't think there was ever a point in this movie where they cut to another subplot and I was like, oh, good, this subplot again. <laughs> Every time they cut to another subplot, I was like, oh, right, this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there, there's nobody in this movie that I was really rooting for or could get behind or was like, oh, yes, they're really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, they don't do much to like build up the, the character, so you don't, really, you don't really care about anybody. It's, like, it's all about yeah. this frenetic pace of like action and mayhem and pandemonium and it's i mean if you enjoy chaos then this this movie's for you yeah i mean like in in animal house animal house all sorts of outrageous stuff happens in animal house and lots of things fall over and and blow up at the end and and stuff like that but you you are behind the characters you are still rooting for the deltas even though the deltas do horrible things they are likable enough that you are rooting for them and you're getting behind them here. It's like, well, am I supposed to be rooting for the American people to get it together and turn away the Japanese raid? Am I supposed to be, I don't know. I, who am I supposed to be rooting for in this movie? You'd think in a movie that takes place at the beginning of world war two, the who are rooting for should be fairly cut and dried, but should no, be. not so much. Should be, should be. Uh, so yeah, so then the, we have the two guys in the Ferris wheel shooting at the submarine. We have, mm-hmm. uh, Ned Beatty's character getting ready to shoot at the submarine. Uh, what else happened? I, oh yeah. The, uh, somebody else shooting at the submarine. Somebody shooting at the oh. submarine. Wild Bill picks up, uh, Stretch and Maxine to go to the submarine. Uh, at some point the tank goes, runs through a, a paint warehouse and gets, and paint spills yes. everywhere. Yes. Let me ask you this. In in your version, because in the version I watched, it Murray Hamilton and Eddie Deason like switched places on the Ferris wheel at some point, for some reason, somehow. You don't typically switch seats on a Ferris wheel. Yeah. And I was just wondering if there was maybe an explanation in one of the scenes in the extended version. I I didn't notice that. But yeah, there were, I don't notice that because I was just like, wait, why is Eddie Deason on the other side of? You think the continuity person would have caught that? It's just a weird thing that happens for like no reason. <laughs> yeah, like I, I mean, from what I saw, I don't, I don't remember seeing a scene where they explained why they switched sides. They, they just okay, yeah, I just suddenly noticed them switching sides. Okay, so we got we got Kelso. He picked up uh, Treat Williams and Maxine. The tank crashed through the paint factory. Uh, I, I think the Christopher Lee's character, the German, tries to take control of the sub and do a mutiny, but then they throw him out, out of the sub, the Japanese people. Right. Everybody ends up in the water Every, at the end of this movie. Yeah, it's just like a lot a lot of screaming. Half the cast is in the water. Yes. A lot of screaming, a lot of crashing, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of yelling. Uh, Ward tries to operate his gun to shoot at the sub. He ends up backing the gun all the way into his house and crashes through his house, destroying his right. home. Yes. Uh, somebody sent one of Ward's kids down to the amusement park to get the two guys in the Ferris wheel down off the Ferris wheel, which I, right. I don't know why. They, they literally sent like a 10-year-old kid to do it, like by himself. Yeah, I mean, 
the ten-year-old kid is probably going to be more competent than the trained soldiers, <laughs> judging from what we've seen in the rest of this movie. Yeah. So yeah, why not? So the ten-year-old um, kid goes down there to bring them down, and uh, he looks at all the levers and he says, uh, "You know, do not turn on this lever." And of course, that's the lever he turns on. He, tr- he right. turns the lever. All the lights in the amusement park go on. The Japanese see right. the Japanese see that, and, and then they fire at the Ferris wheel. Right. Because I guess they... the, the, the Ferris wheel is unmoored from its moorings and it rolls off the dock into the ocean. Right. And uh, the Japanese consider that a victory because I guess they thought, I guess they, they figure out whatever is the most lit up thing on the East Coast, that's like the most important thing. So, right. like, by the. No, our, I mean, our war effort was crippled by not having enough Ferris wheels, obviously. That's right. <laughs> if uh, only we had enough more Ferris wheels, we could have could have shown the Kaiser a thing or two. I mean, we we could have defeated the the Germans and the Japanese so much faster if we just had more Ferris wheels. Why why do you think it's called the Wonder Wheel, people? Come on. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's why they were gathering all that scrap metal just to build Ferris wheels. Thank you. London has um, the biggest one in the in the Piccadilly Circus. You see how safe they are. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, at one so point, the, it cut to like the men in this in the in the sub in the in the tank uh, fred yeah. frank trees men at one point jones yeah. is choking yeah. up and we have the black soldier covered in flour and then the white soldier i think it was john candy's character yeah. maybe yeah and he's covered in oil and they're both laughing at each other cuz now yeah one's one's black and one's white but it's the opposite ebony ivory <laughs> together in perfect that again, that it feels like a moment that should have been funny but wasn't. Yeah, at one point, uh, Jones is just like choking out Foley, and I don't know why. I was like, did I miss something? Why? Why are they choking each other? Why are they choking? Maybe it was just just they automatically hate each other because they're one's black and one's white. I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What's the significance? I don't know. Um. So like okay, so while Bill Kelso he he climbs onto the Japanese sub, and he's he's like, what does he do there? He goes he's going after the Japanese soldiers. Yeah, he he basically he gets rid of Stretch and Maxine, like he because deta- he's riding like a a motorcycle with yeah, a sidecar. He, he releases their sidecar because Stretch is getting on his nerves. He doesn't he doesn't try to rape anybody, which <laughs> for Stretch odd restraint. Um, yeah, and then they crash into like uh, some docks and crash into like a, a truck full of eggs, which of course is a callback to the uh, beginning of this uh, convoluted movie. Again, like when they when they referred to the egg thing the second time, I was like, wait, is this is this a character trait? Is this a plot point that I'm going to have to remember? Manure! I hate manure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just weird, and and also. Let's just take a moment to contemplate that Treat Williams is playing a character that at one point is so annoying that John Belushi is like, okay, you're too much today. John Belushi is like, no, that's over the line. <laughs> it's like, dude, tone it down. <laughs> Good God. Uh, All right, so then uh, Wild Bill Kelso goes up, to finds this submarine. He, he drives his uh, motorcycle off the pier into the right. ocean and goes and because I mean, God forbid, we have a cast member who is not in the ocean at this point. Right, it's in everybody's contract. You got to be in the ocean. 
got to be dumped into the ocean. We bought, we paid for this water tank for the day. We are going to get everybody into this water tank. God damn it. If it worked for Jaws, it'll work for this movie. Uh, yeah, so he manages to um, get on top of the submarine, says some more ethnic slurs, and gets makes his way into the submarine where they take him hostage. And that's kind of his... That's kind of it for him. That's like his his character arc. Yeah, we don't we don't really see Belushi, but but the 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 Japanese submarine that decides like okay, our mission is done. We we pulled it off. Let's go back to the homeland. Right. right? Yeah. So basically, it yeah exactly. The Japanese uh, you know blew up the Ferris wheel, so they're like, oh, we did it. We can return home victorious. And the soldiers think that they're retreating, so the soldiers think they won. Right. So that's. Right. How this and at, at this point, uh, we've got, I think, about maybe 10 minutes left in the movie, or maybe 20 years. I've lost track. Oh, my God. Uh, it's it's one of those two. Maybe it's 10 minutes, and it feels like 20 years. I started uh, this movie at the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just finished it, like, a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> uh, so so then we then we have, we cut to the sunrise, so it's the next morning. This, this all, all this chaos happened over the course of a single night. Or a, a day and a night. Right. Or 20 years. I'm Who not knows. sure. Uh, so then uh, Stillwell comes to the uh, Ned Beatty's house, which is now destroyed. All, all the soldiers are asleep in the yard because, you know, they've had a rough night. Uh, yeah. Eddie Deason and uh, Claude, the other guy, uh, the mayor of uh, Jaws, is there, too. Right. All the characters are asleep in the front yard. because and, and, and Wally and Beatty are together and... and... Do Treat Williams and, and Maxine show up again? I believe so. I think like Maxine like forced yeah. forced herself on him, like right. You know the the raper becomes a rapey. It is it, it's unclear. Okay, yeah, all right. Uh so um, yeah, so then George uh, Stillwell talks to uh, Sergeant Tree about what happened, and they give right. their you know account. Uh, Ned Beatty wants to make a speech about. You know, like you know, this this hasn't deterred us. The American spirit, you know, right? This, we we all faced the the enemy, and we put aside our differences. We all came together, and and it's a decent speech. And Ned Beatty plays the hell out of, of course, because it's you know, it's fucking Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty. Uh, I mean, God love him. Yeah, and then he says like, we won't let this you know ruin our Christmas. And then he goes mm -hmm. to to nail uh, a wreath on his the door of his, uh, you know. Broken down house. Demolished house. Yeah. That, that the anti-aircraft gun has crashed through multiple times. Many times. And um, because, like, whenever he fires it, you, like, physics is a, still a thing that exists, so the equal force, you know, blows it back. Got it. Yeah. Um, so he nails the wreath to the door, and the entire rest of the house falls into the ocean. The door stays standing, but then the entire house falls off into the ocean. And because it's 1979, there's no CGI. We actually do this for real. We have a host, a house, or a host uh, <laughs> collapsing into the ocean. Yeah, and then uh, it ends like that. It ends with, um, I think, uh, Stillwell talking to Sergeant Tree. Sergeant Tree yeah. saying, uh, "I think the you know, I don't think this was like the big one. I think the big one will happen in 1942." And yeah, then that, I think that's going to be the big year of the war. Do you think that was like some sort of sequel hook? Maybe. Not to mention, I didn't think about it. Yeah, do you think they thought? I mean, I just thought of that right now. I do you think when they were making this, they were like, "This is gonna, this is gonna play like Gangbusters. We're gonna be making a sequel, and we're gonna call it 1942." Yeah, you might be right. 
I didn't even, holy hell. I just thought of that now. I, I bet that's what they were thinking. Maybe. And so as he tells them that, Stillwell says, oh, it's going to be a long year. And then the movie ends with literally everybody screaming and arguing with each other and like just screamy, 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 the end. Yeah. And even during the credits, like when they show who was who, you know, who was what, they show a mm-hmm. clip of that person screaming. It's like this person screaming. That's Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. This person screaming. John Candy. <laughs> Everybody. There's so much screaming. At one point, they even I, I missed it, but apparently, Patty Lapone was in this movie as well. Patty Lapone is in it very briefly. She's in it briefly at the USL. I honestly didn't spot her until the closing credits when they were like Patty Lapone, and I mean, you know, she was I guess a big Broadway person already by this point because I get I think Avita had already come out. So it's not about right. So yeah, so it's just more yeah. screaming than like we said. The, even the dummy screams, the ventriloquist dummy screams at his point. And, and, and once again, dummy billed over Eddie Deason, as it should be, as it should be. And then during the credits, as we said, explosions, explosions, explosions. The yeah, end. happening. They they run out of cast members, and uh, but we're still listening to that great John Williams march. Yeah. It really is a great march. Um, like yeah, just the. The John Williams score is wonderful. Let me just say that. Yeah. Um, this movie, though, so. wow. It is. Um, it is. It is a lot. This uh, movie uh, it performed so under expectations. Uh, John Belushi apparently started wearing a T-shirt that read uh, "Steven Spielberg, born 1946, died 1941." Yeah, I mean, this was like. His this was Spielberg's like first big flop. Um, yes, I mean my favorite review was uh, Gene Siskel gave it two and a half stars, and like I think what the way that he, sounds generous. Yeah, <laughs> he, he was he was generous. Gene Siskel. He was no Ebert, but like basically how he put it is basically how I felt. Uh, he said there are too many characters who aren't immediately comic. There are too many simultaneous actions that necessarily necessitate a lot of cross-cutting and cross-cutting between unrelated anecdotes can kill a laughter faster than a yawn. Everything Absolutely. Is- I mean, like like I said before about the Ackroyd speech, that's I feel like there's another edit of that speech that, that could be much funnier, but they cut away in the middle of it and it just it it just deflates. Yeah. You know? He says like everything is too big. The slapstick gags, obviously choreographed with extreme care, do not build to bop. They simply go on too long. I'm not sure if it's the fault of the director or of the editor, but I se- I've seldom seen a comedy more ineptly timed. And yeah, it's just this it's this this movie is just too much. It's yeah, so it's yeah. it's like it's like you said there's like a lot of stuff in there that really doesn't go anywhere, a lot of characters that, you know, don't add anything that could be cut. It's just yeah. like I mean I, I really feel, I feel the same way you did. Like this should have been trimmed down. This there's too much fat on this thing. It should have been trimmed down. Yeah, and it's and also hmm. like stuff blowing up and falling down is not inherently funny in and of itself. It, like there there are maybe two funny lines in this movie. I think. Yeah, I mean there are a few clever things here and there, but yeah, I mean the fact that you don't really care about any of the characters, they don't do anything to. 
you know, any uh, they don't do anything to like sort of build up the characters or their their background or right. It's just like them walking, going through situation to situation while things blow up and crash and fall and scream and holler and boom and bam and blap all around them. And it's just and you can you can you can see everybody trying. Everybody's trying so hard to make this funny, but yeah, when you see people trying, it just. <laughs> It makes it all the more unfunny, ironically enough. Yeah, you got funny people in this. John Candy, uh, Belushi, Aykroyd, Joe. John Candy has, like, nothing to do. He's got nothing to do. You, I mean, you have Belushi and Aykroyd, and you never put them together. Although, I think, I, re- I did read that there was a scene that was deleted or cut out that right. where they were together, where the two of them kind of look at each other like they met. And they, yeah, they, like, nodded each other. Yeah, like they know each other, which is supposed to be like... I mean, you, you put Belushi and Aykroyd in a movie together and you just have them be like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah, it's... Uh... That's dumb. <laughs> um, that is dumb. I mean, you know, Robert Stack can be funny. He's very funny in Airplane just because he's playing it so straight. And honestly, like the last half of this movie, I was trying to imagine what a version of 1941 might have been like directed by like a John Landis. Mm. I, I read some way he, he makes an appearance in this movie too. I, I didn't even Yeah, he's got a cameo. He's got a cameo. Where was he? I, I totally missed him. I don't know. I didn't I didn't see him. Uh, let's see. I've got the name of his character here somewhere. Uh, Miserani. All right. Which that tells me nothing. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean... It's, I mean, apparently Audrey Landers is also in this movie as a USO girl. I didn't see Audrey Landers. All right. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it was just... This thing, it's just so... It's over... It's overstuffed and confusing as hell. Like, there's no... It's... Yeah. It's so much like, oh, let's go to these people. Let's go to these people. Let's let's go back to the people in the first world. Let's go to, this, to uh, Sergeant Tree and the soldiers. Let's go to Ned Beatty's character. Let's go to the... Japanese soldiers in the submarine. Let's go to Wild Bill. It, it hops around so much, and like, yeah, it's it's just a mess. This movie's a mess. It really is. It really is. I I like this little bit of IMDb trivia. It says, when Steven Spielberg shared the news with his close friends in Hollywood that he would make this his next movie, they were supportive, but privately could not believe the news. <laughs> One of these friends, a top director who was quoted anonymously in an article about the rise of mega budget movies in the late seventies, bluntly said. Why is he doing a comedy? When has Steven ever been funny? Um, Damn. And, and, and you know what? There are funny moments in Spielberg movies. I mean, there are moments in like the Indiana Jones movies in particular that are very funny. Yeah. So, yeah. but. But are they intentionally funny? Has Spielberg ever done like a full length comedy comedy after this? Uh, That's a good question. I mean, look into that. I don't think so. But yeah, I think it might have been one yeah. of those things where. Spielberg got so much accolades for Jaws and Close mm-hmm. Encounters. He thought, "Oh, maybe I can do anything. I'm going to do a comedy." I maybe he just wanted to switch it up because he, yeah. he had the juice yeah. to do that. But I don't know. Just I mean, I, I, I look. I don't mind when directors try to do that. Try to sort of get it out of their comfort zone and try different things. But yeah, oh, uh, this was this, he, this is something you shouldn't have tried. Yeah. Um, um, although okay, actually, I found something about John Landis's cameo. It says in the director's cut, Steven Spielberg cut John Landis's cameo is as Miserani due to their falling out after their joint producer collaboration on Twilight Zone the movie. 
which resulted in the tragic deaths of Vic Morrow and two child extras. In the later Blu-ray release, Landis's cameo is reinstated. Oh, that's right. That's when John Landis became a persona non grata. Yeah. Did I use that term well, right? Uh, I guess. I mean, the Twilight Zone movie was 83, mm. and uh, this movie was 1979, so he must have cut that sometime later. So, hmm, okay. So I guess I guess he was visible in the movie, and we just missed him. I guess so. Did you watch it on DVD or Blu-ray? I watched it on DVD. Blu-ray? Okay, so I, I guess Landis is not in that version. Blu-ray? What am I, made of money? <laughs> you got it from the library, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, I'm trying to look through his his movies. I mean, and yeah, he had he hasn't really made a comedy. I mean, Hook maybe. Yeah. What, what's that? Hook maybe. Hook is not really funny. Uh, I think it's supposed to be, but no, it's not really funny. Catch- there is a gag that was originally supposed to be in this movie that he that Spielberg cut out of this movie, and he put it. He he said. During the when Slim Pickens was on the Japanese submarine, there was supposed to be a bit. I think it was maybe Christopher Lee's character comes out and he brings out a device that looks like it's going to be a torture device, but it's really just a coat hanger that they're assembled and he he puts his coat on it. Uh, and they cut they cut that gag out of this movie. And Spielberg was like, "I'm going to put this in every one of my movies until it works." And he put it into his next movie, which was Raiders of the Lost Ark, and it worked in there. And it's it's a funny moment because it's huh. I think I think because like it starts out as a suspenseful thing and then you just sort of you're like oh that's not a torture device it's just a coat hanger yeah that's funny yeah why didn't that go into this uh, I don't know maybe just because I don't know I mean this this whole movie it just it doesn't it doesn't really work from beginning to end and and there are like little individual bits. That I think are okay. Like I think there are some decent performances. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're... I think Ackroyd's good. I think Ned Beatty was good. Um, uh... I might be done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought uh, Tim Matheson was all right. I... Belushi. Belushi was okay, but he didn't have much to do. Yeah, I think that was. It was just like Belushi is hardly interacting with anybody in this movie. He's he's up in his plane most of the time, so it's just Belushi by himself, and he's on like blue screen. Yeah, did you see? Did your uh, version come with that one scene where he's in an airplane and he has like a squeak toy with him? Yes. Yeah. Wh- what was that about? That didn't go anywhere. He 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 like squeezed the little squeak toy along with uh, whatever song he was singing. Was he singing in the mood? I think so. yeah. That was the only song that was around at the time. I remember they featured in the mood twice in the movie. Yeah, Spielberg really. And I was like, "That's weird that they're playing in the mood again." Um, but yeah, but uh, yeah. I mean, I, I hey, I love in the mood. I, I think it's a great song. I'll, I'll listen to it all day. But yeah, but like, the, see, even that scene that that didn't lead to anything. I thought maybe, oh, maybe that's his his daughter's squeak toy or his favorite dog or like you know to give his character a little bit more depth and stuff. But it was like, I feel like you've already put more thought into this <laughs> than the screenwriters have. It was just a squeak toy that he was just squeaking along with, and it doesn't. It doesn't play into the story at all. It doesn't mean anything. So I was like, so why have it in here? What the what the flip, boys? Yeah. But yeah, so oof. Ooh boy. Uh here's a weird bit of trivia. Steven Spielberg joked at one point that he considered converting this movie into a musical halfway into production and mused that in retrospect, 
that might have helped. Maybe. I don't I don't think that's how you write a musical. I don't think the the songs in a musical are supposed to be an afterthought, but okay, Steven Spielberg. Sure. You do whatever you want, Steven Spielberg. And and hey, he's he's about to direct a, a musical now. He's got a remake of West Side Story that's coming out right. in some time. Uh soon. some of it shot in New Jersey. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, they had they had the they debuted the trailer of that not too long ago and Right, right, right. You know, it looked all right. Look, I don't know if we need a remake of West Side Story, but I'll check it out. Yeah. Why not? Where where am I going? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I still love I still love Steven Spielberg. He's made so many of my favorite movies. He's made Jaws, he's made Raiders. I mean, Close Encounters, ET. Yeah. Uh, my god. I mean, uh Jurassic Park. This one. Yeah. This one. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, no one bats, a, no one bats a hundred or a thousand or whatever it's called. Oh, okay. I just found out what John Landis's cameo was. Okay. As, as while Bill Kelso is stealing his motorcycle, he says to Sergeant Mizrani, "Oh, look, a baby wolf." Mizrani replies, "Where?" At the time, Landis was working on an American Werewolf in London. Okay. So, so just a lot of nods to better movies. I, I I guess so. Okay. I guess so. All right. So uh, yeah, that's 1941. It's a bit, you know, much like America. It's a big, expensive, loud mess. Uh, yeah, <laughs> full of exp- and probably would have been better off done by somebody else. Yes. Oh wow! <laughs> wow! Happy Fourth of July! Happy Fourth of July, everyone! <laughs> it just it just shows you how screwed up things can get when the wrong person's in charge. Just like America. <laughs> America! <laughs> Fuck yeah! <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, uh, yeah, that's our movie, guys. And that's our episode. Thanks so much for listening, as always. Um, yeah. Uh, as you know, as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram if you want, but I barely use it. Uh, at Trumbull Comic. T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L and the word comic. Very nice. And as always, as we said throughout this episode, uh, rate, review, subscribe, like, donate to the Patreon, all that good stuff. Yeah, non-productive.com. And you can just uh, donate to the Patreon there and uh, indicate that you're doing it because of the SNL nerds because we, we gave you a few chuckles. Yeah, we made you go for... Like, honestly, this podcast was a lot funnier than the actual movie we talked about. Uh, I think it was for me too. Yes, I certainly laughed a lot more during this. I hope <laughs> I had a better time. Yeah, I had a better yeah. time talking about it than watching it. It's always fun talking about a bad movie with a friend, right? Right. Yeah, and you too. <laughs> <laughs> Happy wow! Fun. I keep, shots fired. I keep. I keep. I keep. I'm. I'm gonna go cover myself in motor oil and cover you in, in white flour. <laughs> we're gonna. We're gonna have this out, Ebony. Yeah, Ivory, living in perfect harmony. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, uh, should, um, should we tell the people what we're going to do next week? We can talk about what we're going to do next week. We we might. Uh, it's not definite yet. I'm working on possibly doing a, a bonus episode Ooh. when we might talk to a person or persons who were involved in this movie in some fashion. Uh, if we do that, it will hopefully drop sometime this week. Um, but if not, uh, we will have our next episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, 
And and why don't we tell them what what we're doing for that? All right. Well, uh, we figured you know the that the uh, the Olympics are uh, big in the news today uh, or mm-hmm. you know lately. So we figure let's do uh, an SNL movie uh, connected to the Olympics. So folks, folks, we're doing folks, folks, people. We are doing Blades of Glory with uh, Will Ferrell and John Heater. Yes, yes, and also Amy Poehler uh, in a supporting role. Uh, with her husband at the time, Will Arnett, and Jenna Fisher from The Office. And uh, another movie we've covered on this podcast, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. Ooh, that's right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I I remember watching this movie back in the day. I really liked it. But it, it, it seems mm-hmm. to be like one of those movies that has like a sort of a cult following, I guess. It, it didn't, it's not, it wasn't a huge hit, but the people that liked it dug it. Um, yeah. One of which I would say would probably be Kanye West, because he takes a part of, he samples this movie a bit for one of his songs um, on the Kanye West Jay-Z album. I did not know that at all. Um, that is interesting to know. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't expect me to say that, did you? <laughs> well, I mean, you're usually the person who makes the references to rap music on the show, I'm going to say. True. True. All right. True. Uh, yeah, guys, so uh, yeah, check in next week for uh, when we talk about... Uh, the movie Blades of Glory with uh, Feral and Heater. We're, we're gonna have some figure skating up in this bitch. <laughs> I, I don't know why I said bitch. Yeah, where did uh, that seemed unnecessary? It really did. It really you know you don't have to prove. It really did. You have nothing to prove, man. It, it, you don't have to. You don't have to go to the potty mouth. The filth. You're right. The filth, Florin filth. You're right. You're right. I, I don't need to drop those racial slurs every two, three minutes like this movie. Oh my god! Yeah, guys, if you're sensitive to racial slurs, you, you might want to stay clear of this movie. Whew. Uh, I mean, I think staying clear of this movie—it's just uh, that's just good advice in general. Yeah, yeah, I would say that. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'm gonna go watch Jaws. <laughs> I'm gonna go listen to the soundtrack to 1941. Okay. All right. So we'll see you next week, and until then. Nerds out! This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.